This is Speaking of Writers. I'm Steve Richards. A fresh biography of legendary entertainment manager Colonel Tom Parker with a contrarian and corrective point of view is out. It is Elvis and the Colonel, an insider's look at the most legendary partnership in show business, the authors Greg McDonald and Marshall Terrell. It is a fresh biography of Colonel Tom Parker, a largely misunderstood figure in the life of Elvis. McDonald, who worked under Parker for years, presents a contrarian and corrective point of view on a trailblazing man. The heart of the book is the long, strong, warm and complex relationship between two iconic men. Greg McDonald is an entertainment producer who got his start in show business with Colonel Tom Parker, who knew him when he was a teenager. He managed Ricky Nelson for 17 years, ran Sonny Bono's mayoral and congressional campaigns, and was president of Transcontinental Records, featuring the artists like the Backstreet Boys and Sync and O-Town. He's also produced several feature films, television series, making the band and large-scale Concerts. McDonald manages Colonel Tom Parker's show business assets, including his name, likeness, and image. Marshall Terrell, who is joining me today, is a veteran film, sports, and music writer, and the author of more than 30 books. They include best selling biographies of Steve McQueen, Elvis, Johnny Cash, Billy Graham, and Pete Maravich. His book, Steve McQueen, McQueen, The Life and Legend of a Hollywood Icon, is in development to be made into a feature film. He also executive produced the 2017 feature film documentary, Steve McQueen, American Icon, and the 2022 documentary, Johnny Cash, The Redemption of an American Icon. He lives in Arizona, joins me now here on Speaking of Writers. Marshall, welcome to this program. Thank you so much. And I love the title of this podcast. Oh, thank you. Appreciate that. So first off, Marshall, how did you get together with Greg and decide to do this book, Elvis and the Colonel? Well, I'll preface it with the fact that I had written three prior books on Elvis, and I wasn't really in the market to do another one. But I, we both had a mutual friend uh, named Ruth McCartney. Now, Ruth is Paul McCartney's stepsister. And uh, so she knew Greg because she runs the social media for Nelson, Matthew and Gunner Nelson. And uh, as you mentioned, um, Greg was Ricky Nelson's manager and maintains a very close friendship with Matthew and Gunner. And so she listened to all his rock and roll stories. And so she said, you know, you ought to write a book. And so he said, well, do you know anyone? She goes, actually, I do. So she put us together. Um, he lives in Palm Springs and, and my wife and I are big fans of Palm Springs. We actually go there three times a year. So it was really easy to meet up with him. Uh, see what he had. He had over 4,500 4, documents uh, that documented this relationship between uh, Elvis and the Colonel. So it was not just one of these books that, you know, I'm going to tell you a story and you write it down. We had documentation of everything that he was saying. And so that's what made it intriguing. And of course, the contrarian point of view that uh, Colonel Parker was actually a fairly decent human being also intrigued me and uh you know we just hit it off personally so that's why i did the book so the colonel often reviled in his time he led that strategy from the very early days of elvis's career they built just a legendary show business partnership so marshall why was parker so misunderstood well because of that because he 
he, as you said, he led the strategy in developing this persona. And I totally understand why he did it because, you know, this was a guy who was a Dutch immigrant who didn't have a education. And when he went to the negotiating table, he had to have something behind him. And so what he clearly understood and recognized early from the get-go was that he needed a heavy-duty reputation. And so um, he wasn't, he, he did not mind playing the heavy. As a matter of fact, as a former news reporter, the editor is the heavy. And 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 what happens is, is when you write a story, somebody has a problem with it, or or if you have to ask a tough question, you say, you know, my my editor told me I got to ask this question, or or oh, if you got a problem, you need to speak to my editor. And so, the editor, I saw I saw Colonel Parker in the same kind of way. Like if any of the heavy duty stuff has to come down, you know, you you give it to Colonel Parker. And you know, when he went to the negotiating table, he was smart. He was really street smart. Steve McQueen was the same way. Um, street Steve McQueen outsmarted. Uh, movie executives because he had that street sense and he came at a negotiating situation in a different way that these guys with diplomas on their walls didn't know how to deal with. And it was the same with Colonel Parker. So with Colonel Parker, there was great theater involved. Um, there was getting up from the table, there was taking a break, there was lighting up a cigar and staring at you. Um, all sorts of weird and strange tactics to get Elvis the best deal possible. But on the same hand, leaving enough gravy for the guy at the other side of the negotiating table to to to, to make it palatable uh, so that he could save face as well. So he was a very shrewd character. How did Parker's experience, he was a carny, you mentioned he was an immigrant, mm -hmm. shape his management style? Well, um, I think what the Carney business did for him, it didn't necessarily shape his business, his, his, his management style. That came later. What it did do was um, it helped him create spectacle and know what spe and, and, and build sizzle behind your client and uh, map out um, routes for concerts, map out how you lay out a, uh, like he would lay out a tent, it's, it's no different. So you go from the tent to the arena and uh, you learn how to count seats and count tickets, those sorts of things. Then when later on he became a manager, you know, he, he managed uh, two other clients, one of them being Eddie Arnold beforehand. He had this kind of, this blueprint. Um, and and the, the thing was, was that once Colonel Parker, once you got past that heavy duty reputation, he was really the best uh partner that you could have because once you got past the contract uh negotiation he gave you and delivered to you everything that you needed and um so then people really uh developed a, a, a friendship with them um and so then the next time a negotiation came along it was easier um but they always knew that they could never get everything on him and next time he was always going to ask for a little bit more money uh but he um that, so that, those, that's how he developed his style. And then with all the success with Elvis, he was in demand. Absolutely, he was in demand. He had uh, plenty of people asking for his services, including the Beatles. Greg recalls a moment um, in August of 1967. He was in Colonel Parker's office, and um, he got a phone call, and he believes it was from Paul McCartney. And uh, Colonel said, excuse me, Greg. So Greg went into the other, he knew, Greg knew who it was. 
Um, and then when he got off the phone, you know, he, he knew he, the whole world knew about the, the Brian Epstein situation where he, he, he had died of an overdose. And so, you know, a day or two later, uh, Colonel Parker's getting this phone call and, uh, you know, Colonel Parker had met the Beatles before and he enjoyed a good friendship with, uh, Brian Epstein. So he gets this phone call and, uh, Greg didn't hear what went on, but he certainly asked what happened. And, uh, he said, well, yeah, the, they asked me to, uh, to manage them. The boys asked me to, to manage them. And he said, well, you know, why didn't you? He said, well, one person is a lot easier to handle than four different people. And, 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 and Colonel Parker kind of also knew that it would be easier for a group to break up, whereas Elvis is a single solo act. Um, and he'll always be in demand as Elvis and, um, and things were going good. And, but, you know, we, we wrote in the book that uh, it was a testament to Colonel Parker's talents as a manager that he was in demand, but it was also a testament to Colonel Parker's loyalty that he wanted to stick with Elvis. And, and don't forget, in 67, you know, Elvis was a movie star um, and that was waning. So it wasn't as if Elvis was uh, at the peak of his career at that time. Uh, of course, he had a 69 comeback and all that changed, but... Uh, you know, Colonel Parker was a fairly loyal guy. Chatting with Marshall Terrell, he, along with Craig McDonald, have written the book Elvis and the Colonel, an insider's look at the most legendary partnership in show business. Let's look at some of the innovations that Colonel Parker made. Merchandising. Talk about merchandising a little bit. Well, I mean, um, you know, Elvis being the first post-World War II pop culture idol, uh, this is kind of when, I mean... There really wasn't any mass merchandising for any big artist. I mean, that just wasn't thought of. So when Elvis came along, um, the, one of the biggest innovations that Colonel Parker made was uh, he had two buttons made up, and uh, and this is kind of how the um, this is kind of how Muhammad Ali operated. You know, Muhammad Ali wanted people to love him, but he also wanted people to hate him right? because he said he always got a hundred percent, you know, of the attention that way. So. Um, with that in mind, Colonel Parker made up uh, two buttons, um, and that was, uh, I love Elvis and I hate Elvis. Mm. So the, I love Elvis, usually the girls would buy and the, uh, I hate Elvis, uh, the boys would buy, but you know, he, he doubled his money that way. So the, uh, we always, it's kind of funny, uh, but you know, if you, if you think about it, it's, it's fairly crafty. Um, you know, everything that you, you saw, it, it, this has kind of gone away, I think, but in the 60s and 70s, you, you saw a lot of merchandising at the table. And and a lot of that merchandising now is sold, uh, you know, online. But Colonel Parker was really the person I think that you can you can uh, point to and say, yeah, he was the first guy to mass merchandise rock stars. And he was. And he, of course, the Beatles came along 10 years later and they had they had uh, tons of merchandise available. But certainly Elvis was was the first post-World War II uh pop idol to to get into merchandising and and you know they made a substantial amount of money that way and ahead of his time too so many artists now in residency in las vegas he established the king as an artist in residence in vegas too oh that's absolutely right um uh you know and he had to wait uh the the interesting thing in that parker the advice that he gave elvis was you know because elvis there was that gap between 1960 and 69 where he didn't perform he performed like a one-off concert in hawaii but um 
he um he didn't perform and you know around 65 66 he said you know colonel i'm kind of itching to get back and do uh concerts again and colonel said well you got to go up against them beetle boys and if you don't sell out you're no longer the king of rock and roll they are and so <laughs> that, that gave that gave elvis pause for thought and so around 69 you know the beatles had stopped touring and las vegas came calling um and elvis was in that perfect position see that was the in interesting thing about colonel parker was that he didn't necessarily go chasing deals. He just waited for the best deal to come around um, for his boy. Now, of course, you know, he made uh, movie deals. Um, and as long as the movies were successful, they kept making them. Um, but then uh, when when Las Vegas came calling, then then they pivoted and they, they got out of the movies. And then they got into uh, the Vegas residencies and live performing. So Elvis, you know, he, he had the, the rock and roll career in the beginning. And then he had the movie career. And then uh, Vegas was kind of the third act. Um, and, and guys from his era really didn't have that sort of staying power. So um, I think Colonel Parker can certainly be uh, uh, attributed to that success as well. And, you know, the interesting thing about the residencies is that they were, they happened twice a year. You know, if you watch the Boz Lerman film, uh, Elvis is this bird, caged bird and he's playing Las Vegas forever. Well, that that wasn't true. He played Las Vegas for four to six weeks in uh, in the winter and in the summer, and that was a set. That was a steady source of income for him, and so um, it was smart. So he had that steady source always, and then he could tour in between. So um, there was a lot of flexibility in that. And speaking of income, and this was one of the myths too. Parker did not receive half of Elvis's income, despite it was written over the years. That's correct. Um, I, I can break down for you exactly how, how it worked because again, I saw the contract. So there were, there were about four or five different pots of money. And so he got 25% um, of his movie contracts, 25% of his recording contracts. Um, they split 50-50 on the merchandising and then they split 50-50 on the touring, but there's a caveat with the touring, and that is it was a joint venture partnership that they signed. And all the expenses um, that were attributed to Elvis on the tour got written off the top. And then those two men split the, the, uh, the, the concert fees. But keep in mind that Colonel Parker had a team of about 10 employees under him, which he used that 50% to pay those guys and pay himself. So, um, yes, it's true. He got 50%, but it was only for that one pot of money. The other pots of money was 25%. Now a typical manager usually gets 15 to 20%, but Colonel Parker was exclusive to Elvis and Elvis was willing to pay for that exclusivity because as we mentioned earlier, the Beatles wanted his services. Um, and Margaret wanted his services, George Hamilton, uh, George Strait, um, all these acts, Tanya Tucker. All these people uh, wanted uh, Colonel Parker to manage them, but he said, I've, I, I only uh, devote myself to one person. And he did the same for Eddie Arnold. And um, that's just kind of the way that he operated. He didn't, he would, he, he had so much, um, he, he, he believed so much in Elvis that he, he believed that that situation could work for them. Marshall, what do you think Colonel Tom Parker's legacy is? Well, I mean, to be honest with you, it's a tainted legacy. Um, it's uh 
it's a uh, legacy of uh, a malevolent leech, uh, somebody that drove Elvis into the ground, um, somebody uh, that was uh, lurking in the shadows as this evil manager who preyed on his client. Um, and But that was part of the reason why we wanted to do this book was to try and change that uh, perception because, again, Greg McDonald, um, you know, not only worked with him for several years, but knew him as a teen, was was practically adopted by him, uh, was raised in the industry, was shown the ropes by Colonel Parker, and uh, was there when all that stuff happened. But, um, uh, you know, part of that legacy is, is that people just don't want to accept, you know, what happened with all this. And so they have to they have to point a finger at somebody. The book told by an insider, Greg McDonald. It is Elvis and the Colonel, an insider's look at the most legendary partnership in show business, the authors Greg McDonald and Marshall Terrell. Marshall, thank you so much for joining me. Hey, my pleasure. Thank you. And this is Speaking of Writers.